This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash freelancershow. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Freelancer Show. This week, it's a solo episode with me, Reuven Lerner, and I'm calling this the Can You Train Us Call edition of the show. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, as you probably know, if you're a longtime listener of the show, my consulting has changed a lot over the years. I've been consulting since 1995, shocking as it is for me to say that. And um, I started off doing programming and some system administration and web development. And over the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years, I've moved more and more into training and to the point where nowadays, basically, training is more or less the only thing I do. I Certainly 90, 95% of what I do in a typical week I'm out training, out physically, either in a different city, different country, or training online, uh, certainly four days and often five days a week. And if you're thinking, oh my God, five days a week. Um, one of the nice things about training is you can do it as much or as little as you want. So I really love training. I, I really get jazzed by going out and talking to people and teaching them. And typically I'm teaching them Python. Most of my courses are in Python of some sort, intro Python, advanced Python, data science with Python, Python for system administrators, Python for non-programmers, and I have a smattering of other courses that I teach as well. I just taught a Ruby course, sometimes teach Postgres, um, I do Git, I do regular expressions, and that variety, truth be told, makes it interesting for me. I get to meet lots of different people, teach them, get great questions from them, I get to learn new things really over the last two, three years, I've been putting together my data science and machine learning class. And so I've been getting to learn a lot about that. And now that I feel like that class is really exactly where I want it to be, now I'm going to start working on an advanced data science and machine learning and Python class, which means I can spend two to three more years researching and understanding and learning. So I, I love doing the training. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to do it all the time. If you're doing it, many, many people mix up training with consulting and programming and doing other things. So you can really do as much or as little as you want. And we've spoken on occasion on the show about how to get clients, how to get clients in general, how to get training clients. Um, I'm a big fan of going out to conferences and um, speaking because then people will notice you. They see that you can speak and that you can speak well, um, and they'll likely invite you to do training. Indeed, just about every time I've spoken at a conference, someone has come up to me after the conference and asked me to do training right there. Uh, Well, not to do it right there, but right there they asked me to do training. So I don't want to talk about that this week. I don't want to talk about how do you find training clients, because I think we've covered that in various ways. And obviously, there's always more to say on the subject, but I want to take it from a different angle. Um, At a certain point, you will, if you start to do training, become known for doing your training. And it doesn't take a lot for you to get known in that way. If you start giving regular presentations to user groups or meetups, if you have a blog, if you speak at conferences, as I said, you will become known as an authority in some area, I'm going to assume, given the makeup of who listens to the show, probably some area of technology, but it doesn't have to be. I'm okay with non-technology people. You will get a call one day from someone asking, do you do training? And your answer, of course, will be yes. 
And that's the conversation that I want to discuss today. I want to talk about what do you do when someone calls you and asks, do you do training? You know, we need training in X and Y and Z. Um, and I, I feel very fortunate that I've gotten to the point in my career, um, partly because I'm in Israel, which is a small country uh, with a large high-tech market that's very, very closely connected. Everyone knows everyone, or everyone knows everyone at some other country, uh, some other company, and people are constantly moving around, right? So if people switch jobs every year or two, it has happened to me several times just in the last year that I get a call from a company, and they say, we'd like you to do Python training, and I say, who the heck are you? Well, I say it in a nicer way than that, obviously. I ask them who they are and where they're from, and how do they hear of me? Um, and they often say, oh, we have an employee who was previously at Company X, and now they're at our company, Company Y, and when we said that we were going to be doing Python training, they remembered you, um, which is, of course, very flattering, but I don't think it's just me. I think this is a, a generally the case in the high-tech market, where if you get known for something, and of course, Philip is like the king of saying this, um, once you get known for something and for specializing and being like the, the big fish in the small pond of your niche, people will remember you for that. Here's a crazy story. Just two weeks ago, um, I was teaching up in the north of Israel, and so I was taking a train uh, in Haifa, and I was at the train station in Haifa after teaching for the day. I sit down on a bench waiting for my train, which is going to come in about 10 minutes. This guy sits down next to me, looks at me, and says, you do Python training, don't you? I said, uh, yeah, I do. And I, quite honestly, I thought he had been at the training I'd just given that day because I'm so bad at remembering names and faces. He said, yeah, you gave training to my company 10 years ago in such and such a place. Now, um, <laughs> that was really nice and flattering and everything. But if you are one of the only games in town, if you're one of the only people doing training in Python or doing training in something, people will remember you, people will call you, people will call you again and again. So again, my point is, someone calls you on the phone, they say, do you train? So I get this all the time. Hi, I'm calling from company X. We're interested in a Python course. Um, what do we do? Or do you offer this? And this is the beginning of a conversation that they want to find out about you. They want to find out about price. They want to find out about content. They want to find out about availability. They want to find out about all sorts of different things, both business, pedagogical, and technological. Um, and you want to find out about them. Um, and you want to find out about them for a variety of reasons. First of all, so you can give them a, a proposal that is likely to be accepted. Also because you want to give them um, a course that will be so successful that they'll invite you back for more. Um, and we'll talk about this uh, sort of as it goes on. So the first thing is someone calls you up and says, we're interested in doing a course. You must find out um, what they're interested in learning. And I know that sounds kind of silly, right? They're going to call you up and say, we need a Ruby course. We need a Python course. We need a Postgres course. We need an Agile course. Right? They're going to put it in very general terms. And so one of the first things you have to ask is, or two things, I guess, together, what is their background? Like, who are these people who are asking for this course? Um, and what is their experience level? Um, so I've gotten many calls from people asking for intro Python, um, and they are experienced programmers, and that's great, right? They have five, 10 years of experience in Java, C Sharp, C++, C, that sort of thing. That's very typical. Um, and they're looking to get into Python, and so they want a Python course, and so they're turning to me. This is quite different from a company that calls me up and says, we have a bunch of business analysts, and they've been using Excel, and they've heard that Python is great for doing all sorts of numeric analysis, like with NumPy, um, so we want to give them a course in intro Python. Now, I'm not saying that I won't teach such people. On the contrary, I love teaching such people, and I have courses for such people. But then I can say to them, okay, I have a course for you. And here's sort of one piece of advice that I have, or one of the many pieces of advice I'm going to be offering you <laughs> over this podcast. You want to have a menu of options. You want to have a variety of courses aimed at different people, at different backgrounds, so that you can say, I have a course that's appropriate for them. 
Um, now, I've branched out over time, right? I started with one course. I started with my regular, I just call it my Python course. Um, and over time, um, you've probably heard me say this before if you're a listener of the show, over time, I've reduced content and increased exercises. I'm going to talk more about that as well over the course of this podcast. Um, every year, I take each of my courses more or less, and I remove content. I add exercises. I add uh, ways for them to sort of understand it better, and people come away more satisfied. Uh, I'm telling you, despite what the managers will say, they need to learn a ton of stuff. Virtually all the time, um, having deep, deeper learning and better understanding trumps more content. This means that I have been able to siphon off content from my intro Python course and move it into my advanced Python course. And little by little, that has grown, grown in terms of number of clients and grown in terms of what I can put on there. Um, and so you'll be able to do that over time as well. Um, the thing is, I then had people who complained that my intro Python course was too hard, that they did not have a programming background. And so it was really like, they would come to me after day one and say, oh, that was really tough. And I'd say, uh, day one is the really easy one. Um, <laughs> the rest of the days are going to be much harder. And so it became obvious to me that I needed a course to offer to them that would be be appropriate for non-programmers. And thus, Python for non-programmers was born. And that's been quite the hit uh, with some of my clients. Um the point is that now I have a sort of smorgasbord of content and of courses that I can offer them. And this is sort of classic, I don't know if classic is the right way to describe it, classic productized consulting. I now have a variety of products and I can say to them, oh, you have uh, analysts. They don't have a programming background. I think my pro Python for non-programmers is best for them. Oh, you have people experienced with Java and they've also been doing Python for the last two years. I think that we can probably just jump ahead to the advanced Python course. Um, and, and by knowing sort of who each of these courses is aimed at, I can both sound more professional, sound like, and I am, trying to uh, give them a course that's appropriate for their needs that they'll be mostly satisfied with. And signaling ever so subtly, I actually offer a lot of different things. And let's try to find the best thing for you, showing that I, I care about them. And if they have additional people in their company who might be interested in other courses, doing that as well. So when they call up, I inevitably ask them, who are we talking about? What do they do? What is their background? What languages do they use now? And then I can start to suggest a course or so. Um, I also always ask what versions of software they're using. This is especially important when it comes to Python, because Python is this whole issue of Python 2 versus Python 3. I'm not going to go into it here, but you should just know, like, if there's a problem in the Python world, that is the problem. Um, and Many, many uh, companies are still using Python 2, so I have to check that. Uh, and when they say they're using Python 3, then I can compliment them. And then I can say, oh, well, I handle that also. Uh, and so I can tell them, sort of, I, I'm aware of this issue, and I can really be appropriate for that. But I've had this with other pieces of software as well. Um, as I've mentioned, I do Postgres uh, training as well on occasion. And so I always ask them what version of PostgreSQL they're using. And then I can know how much or how little of the latest features to include. Um, and so... What will then happen is some sort of semi-negotiation over content. And it doesn't have to happen right away. Some of this happens in the initial phone call. Some of this happens in a follow-up phone call or an email. But they'll say, well, um, we really want to concentrate on X and Y and Z. Or we'd really like to have the following. And sometimes they'll email me while we're on the phone even and say, we really want to have these topics. I had this just a few months ago. Some company called them and said, well, we need an advanced Python course. And I said, oh, great. Um, and they said, well, we got, well, they didn't say it uh, uh, flat out, but they sent me a syllabus that they got from another company. And they said, we want to learn these things. Now, first of all, there's no way on God's great earth that anyone can teach all those things in any serious way in a, a single course. So I pointed this out to them. Secondly, I pointed out that half the topics that they were interested in studying, unless they have a real need for them, I think they're just useless. And I said, do you really need X and Y and Z? And they said, oh, no, we don't. 
Why, why do you ask? I said, because it's on the syllabus that you asked me to prepare for you. Again, this is showing them that you care, that you're listening. I would say nine times out of 10, when I get such a call, I start talking about content. I can simply sell them on one of my existing syllabi. I can sell them on my intro Python course or my advanced Python course. That's like a very, very large proportion of the time. And I can say to them, I have given this class many times for people just like the ones you're describing in your company. And that's sort of a, a, not only a signal that I know what I'm doing and I've done it before, but also that um, and they don't. Oh, don't tell them I said that. Um, but also that uh, <laughs> I, I don't need to really customize things very much. I've got it all in the bag. That said, there are definitely companies where they say, look, we, I just had a company a few months ago, they said, we have three days um, and we want to cover the following topics. And so I said, okay, we can't really cover all of those. There's too much, too much stuff for that amount of time. And then we start some sort of like negotiation, partly on the phone and partly we sort of click ping pong the email where I say, well, I can fit this into three days. And they write back and say, oh, that's fine. Or, well, we'd really like to have X and Y and Z also. Um, and it is, I think, important to push back and not allow people to just sort of bulldozer you and say, hey, we want to have this infinite amount of content in two days. I actually had that just a few weeks ago. Actually, when I, when I was before when I was at the train station in Haifa that I mentioned earlier, the company in Haifa I was at um, demanded that I give them more or less my intro and advanced and data science Python classes, all of them in the space of two days. Um, and I really didn't know how this was possible. And I emailed them multiple times before. Well, I agreed to take the money. <laughs> I, I had some free time. I said, well, I'll give it a shot. Um, they were, by the way, in the end, delighted. Uh, however, I am convinced, absolutely convinced, that by going through so many topics in two days, there's no way they really learned them. They got a, a taste for it. They might have gotten some basic understanding of it. But it's given that most of the people there had never touched Python before, the notion that they can go from 0 to 60 or 0 to 180 um, in the space of two days is nonsense. But the participants seemed happy. The managers seemed happy. So they're happy. And I covered myself by emailing them in advance and saying, I don't think this is possible. Most of the time, though, if I'm not if I don't have free time that I haven't been able to sell to anyone else at the last moment, uh, and if I don't just want to sort of sit around at home uh, recording podcasts and new courses for myself. So anyway, I'll often push back and I'll often say to them, look, this course requires four days. Um, there's just no way around it. And then I get my, one of my favorite statements from many companies, which is, well, our people are way smarter than average. We don't need four days. Um, some of you might be familiar with uh, the, the, previously, the, the radio show previously known as the Prairie Home Companion. Um, I actually almost never listened to it because I found it quite boring. But um, th it was known to take place at a, at a town called Lake Wobegon. And uh, they said where the in Lake Wobegon, all the children are above average. And so there's this, um, there's this description of the Lake Wobegon effect where people believe that it's possible for everyone to be above average. And that's what I found at all these high-tech companies. They are sure that their employees are above average. The problem is that every company is convinced that their companies are, that their employees are above average. And that leads to an interesting set of conversations. And I basically have to push back and say, I'm sure your people are extraordinarily smart. That said, um, these things take time and the exercises take time. And if you want to have a really good learning experience, you should really give it that time. Most places capitulate. Most places say, okay, we understand, we believe you. Um, some of them will push back and say, yeah, but we really don't want to have full days worth of courses because people have um, uh, people, people have like other work to do. And my personal experience with doing half days is terrible. Um, here's the thing, it kills the day for me. I can't really do much else because if I'm traveling there for, say, an hour, hour and a half, it depends on where it is, and if I'm traveling back for an hour, hour and a half, um, and then I'm training there for four hours, well, that's my full work day. Um, I'd much rather sort of, use commuting time in the morning, commuting time in the evening, teach them a full day and get paid more for it. Besides, I feel like once I start get, getting revved up and then it's lunchtime and then we stop, ugh, 
feels really annoying. And I actually had a company that had a semi-clever solution to this a few years ago where I did one group in the morning and one group in the afternoon. I was thoroughly exhausted by the end of the day because <laughs> I had to switch gears. I had to switch people. I had to switch topics. I was doing a, a beginner's class in the morning and advanced class in the afternoon. Um, and then each group wanted four hours because, you know, it's half a day. So instead of having an eight-hour day with an hour break for lunch and then a break in the morning and the afternoon, I had a nine and some odd hour day, nine and a half hour day, uh, just the way it worked out with a break in the morning, break in the afternoon, and an hour break for lunch, barely as I was running between their buildings. So I definitely would not suggest that. If you enjoy that fully for you, that's great. Um, I know that sort of the scheduling can be an issue, and I'm not even talking about your own personal scheduling. I'll talk about that in a moment. But scheduling companies can be an issue. Um, in Israel, companies hate, absolutely hate, will even refuse to have multiple days in a row. Two days in a row is the most they'll do. Otherwise, they want to have it once a week or you know twice a week with days separated by something in the middle. Um, I found that companies that I travel to uh, in the U.S. and Europe and China want to have the course days in a row. It's not just the fact that I um, have traveled and they have to pay for my travel expenses. It's the fact that they want to have the continuation of the learning from one day to the next. Um, I think there's a lot to be said with continuation of learning. At the same time, I can't blame a company that's up at arms because like 16, 20 of their people are out of commission for four days at a time doing a course. Um, so I can sort of see it in both ways. The problem is it sets up for scheduling with me is that Israeli companies then don't want full weeks and companies abroad do want full weeks. So I sort of schedule some weeks for abroad and some weeks for in Israel and you know that, that tends to so solve the problem. Um, in terms of your schedule, try to deal with that last. <laughs> uh, and I say this as someone who uh, has a very full schedule. Um, because I work with a lot of big companies, I tend to be almost completely fully booked six to eight months in advance. I know, I know it's crazy. I never expected it myself. It's an outgrowth of the fact that um, I'm teaching something that's very popular and there's a lot of demand for it and I have big companies as my clients. Small companies schedule a month or so in advance, two months in advance. Big companies are very happy to schedule six, eight, even 12 months in advance for training. Um, and I've even been told by one of my big clients sometimes, you'd better schedule things for eight months down the road because the training rooms are almost uh, all taken. I know that's kind of shocking, but that's the way these companies work. And it means that I can then have a very full schedule in advance. Um, this tends to uh, dismay, put off, annoy uh, potential clients who call me asking for courses. Because if I say to them right away, if I sort of drag it out, I say to them, okay, let's talk about scheduling, bad news. Um, how about eight months from now? Right? They're, they're generally not interested in that. They want something a little sooner. Um, so I, I tend to tell people sort of very close to being in the conversation, look, my availability is limited, but I'm happy to talk to you. Let's see what we can do. That said, why do I tell you now that you should put off the scheduling conversation? Especially if you're new to training, it's good to have this conversation no matter what. And secondly, who knows, right? Like maybe they are interested in down the line. Maybe they're going to want a whole bunch of courses. Uh, maybe they're willing to wait. All sorts of possibilities. And maybe they'll have a cancellation. Um, and I've told people that recently. I, I have one client in particular that's been laying off a lot of people. And so a lot of their courses have been canceled. And so I tell people, I think such and such a course is not going to happen. Um, and thus I can sort of put you on a wait list, as it were, for the dates that I, I can't be sure, but will possibly be available. Um, and then you, depending on your schedule and your negotiating ability and their interest, you'll figure out some sort of schedule. Um, and you'll have to come up with your own sort of system for how you deal with this. Um, I just have my calendar diary, right? And I just sort of can look for free days. Um, I, for a short while, um, let people use my Calendly link to schedule days. Um, and they, and I one client who loved and went wild with it. Um, but I didn't always want to be in that city at that time and that sort of travel. So um, at a certain point, I just started emailing them and saying, okay, how about these days? 
but you are going to have to talk about it a little bit, at least your availability and find out, like ask them, how soon do you need this course? Um, How urgent is it? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. You also want to find out more about their company. What do they do? Um, what are they going to be using your course for? What sorts of people are going to be using it? And what they hope to get out of it? And and here's a key question. How big is the company? And how many engineers do they have? Or how many people do they have who could potentially take your course? And the reason I say that is, I'll give an example. Um, I had a uh, potential client, two potential clients call me in the last month. Um, one is from a really huge internet multinational company where they are growing like, you know, gangbusters. Excuse me. And so... I expect I can sell them a ton of courses in the future um, once I get in the door. I have another company that called me up and they said, ooh, uh, we would all need to be in your course for all four days. Uh, Like we are the entire engineering team. That would basically mean shutting down the company for four days. So you can now, now the smaller company is doing really cool stuff. They sound very smart and very interesting. But you know what? They're never going to order another course for me again. And so in finding out how big their company was, I was able to um, basically give them a cold shoulder to some degree and say, look, I don't have time in favor of the bigger company where, truth be told, they haven't gotten back to me, but that's a separate issue. Uh, I have enough other stuff going on. Uh, But basically, I really want to pursue this big company because I think there's a lot of potential there for me to get a lot of work from them. And I'm going to give them preference over the small company. So finding out how big a company is is really, really useful because I've had some great, great, fantastic experiences with small companies. But, um, you know, for the same marketing effort, more or less, I can get 10 courses at a big company and one course at a small company. Um, Now, they will at some point ask you how you charge or how much you charge. And you have to be ready to answer this and you have to be ready to be bold and not uh, uh, shirk from it and not say, well, you know, I'm kind of new at this. Don't do that. You want to go in knowing what you're charging. Now, how much do you charge? Uh, it depends on the country. Depends on the country, depends on your experience, depends on the demand. Um, I, I'm not going to go into numbers right now. You should sort of check around. Maybe at some point I will go into numbers. I know for a fact that in the U.S. and Europe, you can charge way, way, way more than I can here in Israel uh, or even when I go to China. Um, just like different markets have different, uh, you know, t- different pay scales. That's just the way it is. Um, I will tell you also that there are two basic different ways to charge. One is by day and one is by person. So um, I'll just give the numbers that I've heard for the U.S. Um, that I've negotiated on, but I've actually haven't used them in the last day, year or two. So I've heard that you can get that in the U.S. Most companies like to charge per person, and that's three hundred dollars per person per day. Meaning, if you have a class of twenty people, so three hundred dollars times twenty people at six thousand dollars a day that you can charge. But that's per person. 
then the onus is on you to make sure that you say what the minimum number of people will be, right? Because this company might say, great, $300 a person, we've got five people, and you end up making way less than you would have expected. Um, at the same time, so you need to put a minimum and say, well, I charge, you know, $300 per person per day for the four-day course, there'll be a total of this, and there has to be a minimum of X number of people in the course. The other way to charge, and my preferred way, is per day. And per day is I come in, I teach whoever's there, however many people there are, um, but then you have to put a maximum. If you don't cap it, you will end up with a sardine can or like the equivalent in your classroom with just an enormous number of people stuffed in there because they're going to try to get their money's worth. They're going to have like, you know, the cleaning people come in and learn your technology as well just because they can. Um, I tend to make my maximum numbers, I say maximum of 16. Sometimes I'm willing to go up to 20. Um, I have recently started putting a financial penalty on additional people. So I say, okay, 16 is the max, but if you want more, then I'll charge you, you know, I forget what it is, like, you know, $75 a day or something per extra person. And that's like, so not too painful for them, but painful enough that they rethink it sometimes. Or if they have a lot of money, they'll pay it and it doesn't matter. A company actually asked me to do a Git course and they said, what's my maximum? I said, well, 16. And they said, well, how about if we have 50 people? <laughs> and I said, oh, uh, I don't think so. I don't think I can really serve them. And they said, oh, well, we really need it. I said, well, if you pay my penalty, then sure. And they did, and they paid. And I was actually pleasantly surprised. It was great. Um, I, I really didn't expect it to go as well as it did, but it did. And they paid like right away. So I really, really can't complain. So you should decide how you want to charge. And you will have to stick with that for that client probably, but you can play around with it. Um, you should find out what your market prefers. Different countries work differently. Different uh, industries work differently. Again, I prefer to charge per day um, just because then let them figure out how many people are going to show up. And then I don't have to count. Um, I recently had a company where I went in and I taught and I gave them the 16 plus penalty. And then I got this, like, so I charged them for 16 people plus, I think it was penalty for two people, two extra people. Yeah, except that some of the people didn't show up to day two of the training. So they started trying to quibble with me on, well, the penalty should only be on the first day and the third day and the fourth day, because in the second day, not everyone showed up. You really have to then like hold their feet to the fire. What I did actually was, I was a little sneaky, I took a picture of the attendance chart, of the attendance sign-in sheet for the first day of that class, um, so that I knew who had shown up and how many people there were, and I emailed it to them and I said, these are the people who showed up on the first day. Um, I I'm counting them as being in the class. Um, and that ended that conversation, basically, and they agreed to pay me the penalty for all the days. Um, but as a general rule, like that's, it's just not worth dealing with most of the time. It's just annoying, and you don't want people to be sneaky like that either. Um, another question that they will definitely ask you is, how many, what proportion of the course is exercises? And the higher the number you can give, the more they will love you. I typically say 30%. I'm increasingly convinced that that is actually lower than I give in terms of exercises, um, but people seem to like that number, so I keep giving it. The more exercises, the better. They recognize, the training managers recognize the real value of your course is in the practice, in what I call the controlled frustration of they're not at work, it's not dependent, like their work is not depending on, on what they're doing, the company is not depending on what they're doing. They are simply able to, you know, be frustrated as it were by um, the problem you're giving them and then learn from that frustration. Um, so I say 30% exercises, I say I do a lot of exercises and I solve them with them afterwards, which by the way, I think is a very important and useful thing to do. Um, and they, they generally like that. They love to hear that. What they do not want to hear is, well, if there is time after going through my marvelous slide decks, then I'll be happy to give them some exercises. No, 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 no. <laughs> do not tell them that you're just going to lecture to them for the full day. They will not appreciate that. Um, now when I started, not that started training, but like there was a period of time when I was working through a training company. Um, and I guess in China, I still work through a training company and training companies often promise and deliver 
printed copies of your slides. So when I started training, like, like, or I should say, left the training company, returned to training on my own, the first time I did it, I actually went and printed up my slides. It cost me a ton of money. I took the bus there. So I had to lug these things on the bus. It was heavy. It was annoying. It was expensive. And no one cared. No one wanted it. I mean, you'll have a handful of people who want paper to write notes, but that's about it. So my advice to you is do not offer unless they tell you, unless they beg you. You can say flat out, I will give all participants PDF copies of the slides I use. I found that that is more than adequate. No one complains about this. And the developers are often happy to have it on their computer that they can read through and search through and everything. Um, If they insist on doing paper copies, I guess, maybe, but like try, try to avoid as much as possible. So they'll ask you how much you charge. They'll ask you if your syllabus... Oh, I should also mention, I didn't say this before uh, explicitly. You want to put your syllabi for your different courses on your website. Now, that doesn't mean you're going... I, I mean, you, you don't have to go into like what you're doing minute by minute, but you want to have it out. You want to say, who are the, who is this course for? What will they get out of it? What are the minimum requirements? Like, what knowledge do they need to have coming in? And here's an outline of the topics we're going to cover. I promise you that by having that on your website, like every time someone calls me and says... Um, well, can we see a syllabus? I just say, go to my website, go to the slash courses part of my website, and you'll see all the courses I I offer. That broadcasts professional, that broadcasts prepared, that broadcasts, oh, they're not new at this training thing. Even if you're new at the training thing, what does it cost you to put up a few courses and syllabi on your website? And you can even have multiple syllabi for roughly overlapping courses, Um, right? If you want to have courses for like, you know, Python for non-programmers and Python for Excel people and Python for R people, right? Three quarters of those courses are going to be virtually identical. Uh, Well, maybe, mostly, mostly, right? So you can basically just copy and paste and use the same things and they don't have to know that it's overlapping there. They'll just see multiple courses for multiple audiences. Um, You'll then be asked to send a proposal, right? After you talk on the phone, they'll be like, okay, fine. I also, by the way, always mention, because like I'm just one guy, um, I say, and I have a legally incorporated business in Israel, and I do, uh, you know, tax invoices, and I collect, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a full, fully registered incorporated business. And that, I think, puts their minds at ease that they're not dealing with some fly-by-night operator. They're not dealing with someone who's new. I actually have a serious business. I know that in the U.S., um, that you just be self-employed on your own, and, like, you deal with the tax stuff. Um, in Israel, and I believe in Europe as well, you need to have actual paperwork showing that you're not just, like, you know, fly-by-night, as I said. So I tell them this. I say, and they say, oh, that's very good. Like, you know, you'll... And there's certain paperwork you just have to send them. It's like emailing some PDF forms just saying, yes, I pay my taxes. Yes, uh, you don't have to withdraw taxes source. And so in your proposal, what do you put? You're going to put the syllabus. You're going to put the price. You're going to put the maximum or minimum number of people, depending if you're charging by day or by person. You are also going to um, put on an expiration date. Um, I've learned this recently. Um, I had a company actually where they said, if you don't put an expiration date, we can't accept the proposal. And it seems a little slimy to say, you must, um, you know, if you agree to this, you must do it within X time. I just give it a month. <laughs> like the odds of someone not getting back to me in two days are so slim. Who cares? I say it a month, but I want them to realize that there is some urgency and like I do need them to come back to me and they do need to sort of agree at, you know, at some point. They can't just pull us out of their drawer in another uh, year and say, oh yeah, we're interested now. You should also say um, what you expect to get. And so I always say that I expect to get a projector. Um, I expect to get a whiteboard or flip chart because I do a lot of drawing and writing. I expect to get lunch. Um, Most places, the cafeteria, um, you know, there's cafeteria or they have like restaurants nearby with whom they have deals. Um, In Israel, at least, it's super ridiculously standard to get lunch as part of the deal when you are consulting. In other countries, it seems to be a mixed bag. 
Um, and I mean, I've even been told by one of my clients, what you ask for lunch, right? That's outrageous. We do not budget for lunch for our, um, you know, for our contractors or for our teachers, you need to build that into your price. So you can ask them, but if they say no, that's that company policy and you should just go with it. Um, you might need to ask for parking. You might need to ask for travel. And that's where things get a little dicier. So when I travel internationally to teach, um, one of my clients, um, gives me an allowance like per day. So it's a two day course. You get this three day course, you get that four day course, you get that. Um, and then I, I'm supposed to basically like, you know, pay for my hotel and flight and whatever else out of that. Um, there are other companies where you just sort of give them a number and they'll add that to the price. Right. Or you say, uh, you know, you also have to pay me for, and you can give them some parameters. Um, and there's some companies where they will just sort of say, you know, they'll, they'll, like actually uh, the training company that I deal with in China. So they basically know I prefer to fly on Turkish or on Star Alliance in general. Um, and they know my preferences and they'll generally go along with it. They'll sometimes try to get me on a cheaper flight, but they'll generally go along with it. And then they actually pay for these things. Right. So I'm not paying for the flight. I'm not paying for the hotel. They do that. But truth be told, it doesn't matter that much um, right? because I'm, I'm happy with more or less wherever they put me. Don't tell them that. Um, so you'll put all this in the proposal. You will say what the cancellation policy is. Very, very important, as I have learned twice in the last few years. I was literally on my way to a client. I was literally on my way driving there. And I just sent them a message saying, wow, there's a lot of traffic. Um, you know, I'm going to be a bit late. They call me back and say, what, what do you mean, late Late for what? I said, you know, the course that we scheduled four months ago. And they said, oh, we kind of forgot about that. And they didn't want to pay because like, they didn't get training. So I, first of all, turned around the highway and went home and was a little annoyed. Second of all, I said to them, you will pay for this. And uh, the the eventual result was they paid me for all four days of the course. And they rounded up some people for the final three days. And I taught them like a quickie version of an intro to Postgres course. People who were completely blindsided and no idea they were going to be tra- doing training that week. Um, so that was kind of amusing. But at least, you know, I got paid. And now I always put in a cancellation policy. And I think I generally say, like, if you cancel two weeks or less before, if you cancel less than two weeks before the course, then you pay 50%. And I think that's pretty reasonable. If they give me more than two weeks notice, like, that's pretty fairly decent about it. Um, and most of my clients, like, if they really need to move things, they'll talk to me. Uh, one of my clients just recently said, we're having a, uh, like, a company party one afternoon. You'll have to finish teaching at two. Can you move it? I said, I really can't move it, but why don't we just add half an hour to each of the other days? And they were okay with that. That was a pretty good compromise on everyone's part. Um, so you put all these things in. You indicate how much money you want. You indicate the payment terms. Um, in my experience, almost every company tells you what the payment terms are. You don't tell them what your payment terms are. Um, I know that Jonathan, uh, uh, who's obviously not here today, has very strong different opinions about that. Uh, he's managed to get people to pay him up front for years. Truth be told, I don't really care that much. Like, it does, just doesn't bother me because all these places pay and they pay on time. Um, they love to pay net plus 60, which is really annoying, but you just sort of get used to it. I've sometimes managed to get people to pay net plus 30. Um, some places totally blow me away, like that huge uh, uh, Git course that I did. They paid that day. I sent them an invoice that evening, and they paid on PayPal or their credit card. And like I got the money within 24 hours. That was a big shock. I did not expect that from a Fortune 500 company at all. Um, and so you will then send this proposal. They will typically maybe negotiate a little bit, like if payment terms are not quite the same as you want. Um, you know, oh, you should put in the dates. Oh, sorry, sorry, did I not mention that? You need to put the dates of the of the trading that you're proposing as well. And my suggestion is as soon as you propose dates, put it in your calendar as if it's done. So you don't make the mistake of accidentally double booking. Um, I have done that in the past, and it's extremely, extremely uh, embarrassing to call up a company and say, oh, I double booked, I need to move it. Um, and especially if you don't have a lot of availability, then it's really kind of bad. 
Um, and then, they'll, yeah, they'll email you back. They might like, want to change a few things here and there. But the big thing you're waiting for is the purchase order. And a purchase order you could think of as like a contract. It basically says, um, we promise to pay you for such and such services. Hold on to that. I mean, I know it's an email, so like there's nothing to hold on to. Hold on to that because when you invoice them, then you will need to reference that purchase order number, that PO number. Otherwise, there's no way on God's great earth that you're going to get paid. And they'll probably just get really annoyed with you. You should also find out to whom you should be sending your invoice. Um, I used to make the mistake of sending it to the person who had ordered the course. What am I talking about? They're not the right person often. Often it's like the finance department. Because once the PO has been issued, then you're managing people that don't have anything to do with it. You just need to uh, you know, send to purchasing with the PO number. And then you wait. And typically, I mean, nowadays, I think everyone pays me via bank transfer. Um, I mean, it used to be they would send me checks in the mail. Bank transfers are so easy, especially outside the United States. It's like super easy and cheap. Um, and, and so I just expect to get it there. And then, um, I mean, this is going to serve a little more too much finance stuff, but I'll say it anyway. Um, in Israel, you have at least, um, uh, you have, when you invoice someone, you can give a regular sort of invoice, or you can give what's called a tax receipt. And the tax receipt means I have received the money and I'm thus on the hook for paying taxes. Well, it turns out that many companies want you to send a tax receipt in order to ask for money. And that means you're on the hook for taxes 60 days, if it's net plus 60, 60 days before you get the payment. So I flat out refuse to do this. The law is on my side. Some places call to like quibble over this. I then have my accountant write up a letter and tell them, no, actually, any company earning less than a million dollars, which sadly includes me, does not have to do this, and they back off right away. Um, so you should just be familiar with what kind of invoices you're going to be sending, what kind of invoices they're going to be expecting. Um, each company is a little different. You know, it's like every company is crazy in its own way, but overall, overall, it works out okay. Um, and so, you know, that, then my suggestion is before the course happens, like a few days before even, email them to remind them that the course is going to happen, that you're coming. You might need to negotiate. You might, you'll probably need to send them some installation instructions so you want to have those ready. Um, you might need to sort of ask them what they're planning to do, uh, like all sorts of little things, just sort of double check. Um, and then you'll show up and, and uh, you know, and teach and have a great course. Uh, these are, this is basically the way that I run my training business, right? So people call me up and, and I realize that like, it's very easy to say, oh, when someone calls me up, it will happen to you. If you do enough of this, you will get known. And knowing what to do to react to these calls is, I think, a really essential part of playing this game. Remember, these, the people who are calling you are typically going to be, I mean, at least half the time, the training managers, meaning the person who deals with training companies. And the more that you can seem like a big, established, knowledgeable training company and play according to the rules that those big, established training companies play by, the more likely that you're going to get more and more courses from them. One last little bit, you should mention to the training manager other things you teach. So I've been working with this Fortune 500 company, I don't know, like, Many, many leaders, like five, six, seven years already. Um, and basically, um, they know me as the Python trainer. I do intro Python, advanced Python all the time. About six months ago, I happened to mention that I do Git training. And the training manager said, really? You do Git training? Oh, I wish I had known. We had a horrible Git training uh, here just last week. And if we'd known it was you, we would have gone with you. Make sure to sort of sneak into conversations or what you write or whatever you do, um, the fact that you do training in whatever you do, so that if it's more than one topic, they will know and they will think about it and uh, you know they'll, they'll, they'll remember you next time around. And that's the, the key here. You want them to keep you in mind. I think that basically covers the topics that I wanted to get to in terms of like how to deal with these calls. Um, sometimes you get email, by the way, I find getting people on the phone, like it's hard to get me on the phone nowadays because I'm training so much, but, um, it's a phone call is usually good. So I'll say to people, look, I'm training such and such a day. Can we just talk during my lunchtime? And like, you know, lunchtime is my, my meeting time very often, either before or after training or often during lunch. 
um, and then talk to them and talk to them and, and find out what they want and give them a really great bang, of course. And if you do, they will invite you back. They will find ways to invite you back. Um, I just last week got email from a company. I'd never heard of them before last year. They called me in to do Git training. I haven't heard of them since. I truth be told, forgot their names completely, but they emailed me again and said, hey, we're just doing Python training. So you do one thing, you do it well, they will invite you back for more. Um, and for you, like the more you teach the same things again and again, the easier it gets, um, the more natural it gets. I often uh, um, make an analogy between that, like a one-man show, uh, you know, one-person show where you're getting up every night or even stand-up comedians, you're getting up every night and giving the same material just to a different audience. Uh, and hopefully they'll even laugh at the audience, right? Uh, hopefully, hopefully the audience will even laugh at you or, or laugh at your jokes and what you say and learn something in the process. I think that concludes it. Um, I hope this was useful. Um, I should add... Uh, so I guess I'll do some picks. For you, the listeners of Freelancer Show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. So first of all, I've mentioned on the show before, but I'll mention again, I have my weekly or almost weekly newsletter for trainers called Trainer Weekly. You go to trainerweekly.com and sign up. And uh, every week you'll get a tip about how to uh, train, whether it's finding clients, whether it's teaching, whether it's pedagogy, whether it's logistics, whether it's like, do you eat lunch with your students? Answer, no. <laughs> and truth be told, I, just last week, I'll mention briefly, last week, or I guess it was earlier this week, I was at a company it was a very, very, very needy group. Oh my God, they were asking so many questions. I love questions, but this is really like needy questions. I got there early, they asked questions. We took a morning break, they asked questions. Lunchtime, I made the mistake of sitting with people from class. They kept asking me questions. My suggestion, don't have lunch with your students. Nice as they might be, your voice needs a break. Um, so, so pick number one, I guess, is uh, Trainer Weekly. Um, pick number two, actually, uh, so this was a fun show that I just watched on Amazon and probably by the time this comes out, the second half of the first season will be out. It's called The Tick. And if you like superhero uh, shows, this is like super funny because it's, it sort of makes fun of superhero shows while still being a, a fun one in and of itself. So uh, that's on Amazon. I'm not sure if it's available elsewhere, but I've been watching it on Amazon and I got through the first, uh, uh, the, the, the first uh, half of it and I'm anxiously waiting to see the second half of the first season. Um, thanks very much to you all for listening. I would love to get feedback from you. Uh, you can give me feedback uh, via email, Twitter, um, or anything else. Um, and please let me know uh, if you have more questions about training, because each of us does some of these solo shows on occasion when no one else can show up, and we can hijack the show for ourselves. And uh, thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next week on The Freelancer Show. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.